2: Right now on Fast, Apple's big reveal, the Vision Pro headset, the tech giant's first major new product cycle since 2014, Disney's Bob Iger on hand. The stock also hitting an all-time high ahead of today's announcement, but ending the session in the red will break down all the action from the day's event. Plus, Bitcoin blues, the SEC filing charges against the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, Binance, and accusing them of mishandling funds and lying to regulators. The news sending shockwaves through the crypto space, the latest on this developing story straight ahead. And later, GM CEO with a warning on the EV road ahead. Target stock keeps on slumping and a nuclear move higher in uranium. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market Site On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan and Julie Beal. We start off with Apple's first major product launch since 2014. The company unveiling a mixed reality headset called the Vision Pro at its Worldwide Developers Conference today. Apple calling it revolutionary the headset which will sell for almost 3500 bucks will let users watch movies view videos play video games and much more disney ceo bob Iger on hand for the announcement disney plus will be available day one on this headset. Shares of Apple slipping after the big reveal falling almost 1%. Apple early in today's session did hit an all-time high, dating back to its IPO in 1980. CNBC's Steve Kovac is out in Cupertino covering the event for us. This is much more expensive than we thought. Did it seem cooler? Not as cool as we thought?
3: Well, I got to look at the device, Melissa, but I didn't get to use the device yet, so they only had it uh, on display in the Steve Jobs Theater. I just got back a few minutes ago after checking it out and it was basically on a pedestal there. Tim Cook came out and did his little photo op and you know showed it off. But right now, you know, no one really outside of Apple has had a chance to use it. So it's hard to tell if it lives up to the promise that we saw in that presentation. But what is the pitch, I guess, is the big takeaway from here, besides the price and the release date, of course. And it focused a lot on entertainment. Like you said, the surprise appearance by Disney CEO Bob Iger. That actually sent Disney shares positive today. They were down. Uh, at Session Lowe's until Iger appeared on that stage and, and popped up. And, look, it's it's all about immersive entertainment and uh, this kind of idea that you can kind of wrap yourself into your content. For example, uh, the, a lot of what they talked about, especially in that Disney uh, part of the Uh, event was this idea that you can paste a digital uh, television screen or movie theater screen and make it feel like it's 100 feet tall inside your living room. Uh, That seemed pretty cool, but again, we have to try it to see how it works. On the other hand, there is some productivity stuff. I will point out that as far as uh, apps and things that you can do on it, it is going to run every iPad app. That's over 100,000 apps, they say. So if you have an iPad app you like to use, you, you're gonna be able to use it on your face pretty soon, Melissa, and then, uh, but yeah, that is the big thing here. It's it's now we get to figure out, okay, what is this device for in and, and Apple's lineup? And uh, we're not gonna really find out until early next year when it goes on sale, Melissa.
2: The event is the Worldwide Developers Conference. So Steve, is thinking that, you know, th- 3500 hundred It's probably too expensive, prohibitively expensive for mass market adaptation. And, and maybe this is sort of a, a soft launch for a new device to get developers sort of, you know, in the fold, creating things for, for use with this.
3: Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, you can buy three MacBooks that they announced today as well on top of that, uh, on top of the headset and uh, you still won't equal the price necessarily of, of the Vision Pro. So it is going to be expensive. It is right out the gate going to price many people out. Right off, just the price alone makes it sound like more of a luxury item, but it doesn't sound experimental. A lot of people going in today, Melissa, We're thinking this is going to be a kind of they're going to pitch it as an experimental gadget, have developers play around with it. Of course, that's happening. And they did talk about that today, but they really are making this out to be a kind of mainstream device. I will say that pro moniker uh, does tell us a lot of how they uh, envision it. And, you know, maybe down the line, it gets cheaper and more accessible for more people. But right now, this is a high end, uh, unique entertainment device uh, for the most part. All
2: right, Steve, thanks. Steve Kovac out in Cupertino for us. Dan Nathan, I'll go to you. You already, before this thing, I saw the light of day, you were slamming this. So now what?
4: Well, it really is the price point. I think the way you laid it out made a lot of sense. They're kind of laying out the gauntlet. They're laying out their future for virtual reality AR, however you see the mixture of it. And it really is about other services that they're going to be layering on, but it's also what the developers are going to do within this ecosystem. So again, I think that even if they had priced it at $2,500, it wouldn't have created any more demand for that sort of product. If you see what Facebook's doing, they're lowering the price from their oculuses dramatically. And they started at a very high um, price point. And I do think what Steve said is really important. That was the first thing that hit me. Usually this company introduces a product, and then when they a- introduce a higher version of that product, then they call it pro oh, here. Yeah. So um, again, I think that for mass adoption, it's got to be a price point that's below a smartphone, you know what I mean, that you're not going to be replacing um, every year. So, so I, listen, the fact that the stock was trading 185 at an all-time high at, you know, while this, this uh, event was going on, and then it sold off, it kind of reminded us of the olden days where people got really excited about what new phone. They yeah. used to introduce the new phones at WWDC. So to me, again, um, you know, it's a vision for their future. This is going to be a huge platform for them, but just not right now.
5: Yeah, I agree with you Who agree and Dan yeah. on what this really was. I don't think this. we're going to expect to see a giant line item of these sales in the next quarter or so whenever they are more widely available. It, so the stock, I don't know what was priced in today for this. Something clearly, right? And when it came out with the price, then the stock price actually started to get hit um so you know it's expensive here i actually sold some app upside apple calls today i just feel like a lot of hype priced in you know buy the rumor sell the news as you said and i don't know this is a hardware thing with software attached so what's the right multiple for this i don't know but as i said i don't think the revenue line will be huge so at the moment nothing's changed i do wonder is this a positive or negative for meta for their product, hmm. does it increase the pie and in the interest? Right, boost interest Boost overall? interest more broadly, or do, is it a, is it a fight for share already?
0: I don't know. Well, and, and if you're looking at the market, I, you know I would I would make a lot of arguments in favor of Meta over Apple for the next leg higher of mega cap tech, and and, and again a world where I think mega cap tech is simply uh, whether we believe these multiples. Are, are, are appropriate. And Apple, you know, has gotten up to 30 times. It's about 27 times you listen to the street. Uh, I don't think that's really the right multiple. I think it's high here. Uh, and But but as long as, and I've said this before, as long as the market is going to be led by semis and semis will lead Qs and Qs will lead the S&P. That's the only thing I really know. And, and I don't know when that's going to stop. But in that environment, I think meta of all of them, but back to today, yeah, I think we're all saying this. I don't believe this is that big of a day for Apple uh, other than people want to see what they're doing. I think that the services side might differentiate Apple because of the services Apple can off- offer native to the hardware, similar to what they're doing with the phone. That's the reason we're paying what we're paying for Apple. Um, if you look at the size of the AR, VR, kind of headset market and, you know, I, you know, different people have I'm hearing, you know, $25 billion by 2030. The reason we're paying this for Apple um, is the financial flexibility that the company has. Uh, I think their ability to have turned us all into hardware as a service consumers and that the service is dynamic even though it's not growing and where it was five years ago, and we really started to up the multiple. It is still part of this on this installed base that grows. And India is important just because of that dynamic. We're talking about new installed base, even if I don't think India is going to be China. We know what penetration is. That's exciting.
2: Yeah. I mean, the sell-off wasn't as bad as one might have thought, Julie, considering we hit an all-time high and we backed off and the stock closed down by less than a percent. Um, And and so you you got to wonder if if people were expecting a lot from this launch and you're sort of erasing what was being built up, it wasn't much. So it, it seems like the stock moved to an all time high, not necessarily based on this is what I'm getting at.
6: Yeah, I think it's more clarity on what the, what the strategy is for this product. It was such a vague, unclear product. And it, for me, when I think about it, it's not about selling the headsets, it's about the app store because that's where they make so much money. And so it's incumbent on them to really figure out how to get developers super excited to be developing products so that they can continue to take their 30% easy-peasy without necessarily having to go after their own margins. The thing that's a little bit tricky about this is think about the watch, right? The watch took a really long time to find its footing and when it first came out I don't think we would have guessed how much health would be attached to it. And I think it's a little bit the case here too, where we launched this product, we're not exactly sure what its best use case is. We're gonna leave it kind of broad and open, but I think it'll eventually take its footing. But I think it's gonna take a really long time specifically with this product.
4: It's interesting. Tim did a little would you rather? Is that what you did in the, in the A block? I'll like right out in wherever is.
0: I can. <laughs> if I mean, you pick me off, good bro. for you. But So it's funny.
4: <laughs> I would have gone to Microsoft right there. So you said Apple trading at 30 times. And these companies now both have a very similar market cap, right? About $2.5 trillion versus two point seven for Apple. You think of Apple as a company. We know that this multiple has to do with this kind of, um, you know, the valuation they're getting for their services and the install base. But it's got a 43% gross margin, right? And then you look at Microsoft, it's got 68%. Microsoft actually has higher earnings and higher revenue growth and, and you know, in like growing double digits both next year, trading in a very similar multiple. So it's kind of interesting to me when you think that Apple really did run into this and, and maybe it's just passive flows moving in. I mean, all the big names are moving, but it really did feel like it ran into it. Once the last time we've seen a 4% move like, from one way to the other in one of these big names in a very long time, we haven't. So I think there was something built into it.
2: All right. Our next guest calls today a big deal for Apple. Longtime analyst Gene Munster attending the event. Gene is managing partner of Deepwater Asset Management is out in Cupertino, of course. Gene, great to have you with us. You just heard basically all of us. say So this, this wasn't such a big thing. So explain to us why this is a big thing in your view.
7: Well, just simply the math that they announce a new hardware product category once every five to ten years, so that puts it in a special case for a company that is very measured in terms of how they make these announcements. They never jump into a market. So that's noteworthy. And I think another piece why this is a big day is to look at the actual device itself. Understand that the commentary around waiting, this is going to take many years to, do, to grow into a big business. I agree with that wholeheartedly, but I do want to point out two things that make Apple product innovation great. There were two product features in here that no other mixed reality headset has. Number one is the ability for the user to have their eyes on the real world at the same time. There is a primal instinct with humans, this may sound obscure, but a primal instinct that when you, uh, that humans want to have some form, even if it's a passing, their eyes on the real world. That's one of the reasons why MR headsets, VR headsets have not taken off. They picked up on that, I was glad to see that second is gestures and uh, eyes are what is the the controlled interface for this Uh, that's important so you don't have to have complicated ways of interacting with these devices this is important ultimately it will take time for the use cases to form uh, but they are off to a great start when it comes to the technology piece the price is prohibitive all that's true but you just need to take a step back Look at the bigger picture here. Our collective lives are going to have a a, kind of a spectrum of devices we're going to use. And I I believe eventually 10% of Apple's revenue is going to come from this wearable.
5: Hey, Gene, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So just how do you think this $3,500 price we all talk about that's going to really shut almost everyone out of the market? How do you see the evolution of this product and the price, let's say a year or two years out? What's a mass-ish for them market for this?
7: I think it's below $1,000. It's a light year away from where we're at today. And I would also add that I think that there's going to be a family of products around here. We are hyper-focused on this announcement today, but Tim Cook has long talked about the power of augmented reality. This is not augmented reality. This is a step before it. Augmented reality is uh, more uh, more or less glasses. But to answer your question, Karen, I think it's sub-$1,000, 700 actually is, I think, where it starts to get mainstream. And if you're going to ask me what year we're going to get to that, it's probably 2,000, probably five years from now, 2028. So we're, we're many years out. The good news is that not, a little of this is priced in. Investors are going to be a uh, wait-and-see approach. A little of it's priced in, and there is optionality. As we start to see a family of products come out, the price comes down, I think it gives room for Apple investors to get more excited about what the segment can do.
2: The other big thing that happened today, Gene, of course, is Apple hitting an all-time high. So how do you think about the valuation here, given what you've seen today?
7: So I, I think that there's a shift in how investors are viewing the Apple story. This is not about how many iPhones are selling in a quarter. It's about the active base. We've seen that trend in the stock over the last six months. I think mathematically that base is going to keep rising. And I think that this can still have, should have a premium to consumer staple companies, Coca-Cola, If you look at Procter & Gamble, Clorox, uh, those all trade in the mid-20s for multiple. I think this should be in the low 30s. So I think that there is upside. This is not a stock that I think is going to triple in the next uh, three years. If that's what you're looking for, that's not what uh, Apple's going to deliver. But I think a a company that can continue to a store, that can continue to move higher, I think it's going to happen because that active install base is going to continue and grow, and investors can sleep well at night knowing that that's growing, and that means higher multiple.
2: Gene, always great to see you. Thank you. Gene Munster. So in talking about valuation, you compared it uh, to Clorox, to, to Clorox, I love that. To, 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 yeah. to diaper maker, to toilet paper yeah. maker. To, I mean, you name it. Tim, what do you think of that? Well,
0: he's he's going right to the consumer product space and Clorox, maybe not and maybe not Pampers or, or Charmin. But but certainly if you think about consumer products that become somewhat ubiquitous and are more staples like um, for sure. And, and I think that's where we've gotten to. Or we certainly don't call it a tech company. We call it a a, a consumer company in some way. What are you paying for that? I of course a premium. And again, I get back to their ability right now with their balance sheet to buy back shares and to actually, and none of this adjusted EBITDA garbage. They're real. It's U.S. GAAP. What they're doing is real. Uh, They were able to financial leverage when, when rates were at zero was smart. Um, that's why you own Apple, because in addition to everything else, I think actually it's, it is like owning a, a, a T-bill in the tech space.
2: All right. Meantime, the Fed's next few moves up for debate following last week's stronger-than-expected jobs report traders now betting on a pause this month and then a hike in July. Steve Leesman joins us. The latest expectations for the Fed. Steve, how are they looking?
8: They're changing, uh, Melissa. The pause or skip in June, that remains priced in. But the reaction to the big upside surprise in that Friday jobs report was to further price in the July hike and price out rate cuts by year end before the jobs report, Fed Funds Futures had seen at least one rate cut by December, putting the year end funds rate had been at 485. Now it's over 5 percent, suggesting markets now see the Fed holding at that level at least through year end. The result, the gap between where the Fed expects to be and where the market thinks the Fed is going to be, it's narrowed to just about nothing, had been as high as a full percentage point or 100 basis points last month, now just 16 basis points. So never mind the gap, we might say. Uh, Among the reasons for this change, obviously economic data has been coming in stronger, jobs, inflation has been more stubborn. And the Treasury, of course, is rebuilding its coffers after the debt ceiling debate. Some estimates they need to put a trillion dollars in bills out into the market. Meanwhile, uh, while a pause is price in for June, futures place a 62 percent chance of a July hike out there. Uh, So the question is the extent to which stocks have er have been helped by expectations for rate cuts. Now they face a challenge from a Fed that's believed likely to keep rates above 5 percent, even when New Year's Day rolls around. Stocks giving back today. Maybe a little bit of what was gained, because it could mean they have more Fed, more on their radar. Melissa?
2: Yeah. Um, Steve, I'm curious. You know, when you take a look a year out, um, where are markets pricing rates at that point? I'm just trying to figure out if if the markets and the Fed okay. are also on the same page in terms of longer, you know, higher for longer also?
8: No. Everybody's got cuts. When you say a year yeah. out, do you want to know what the futures price is Uh, what, in um, May of 24?
2: Sure. That's what you
8: got? Yeah, that's good enough. That's what I got. I got 433. And then for year-end 24, I got 345. And then I can tell you uh, what the Fed is is, is looking for in terms of their median forecast. I believe it's in the threes for next year. Um, But yeah, everybody's got cuts built in. It's just it had been this debate over this year versus next year. And that gap now has closed. Hang on, I'll get you that uh, for next year. Fed funds rate, 4.3 for the end of the year. So a little bit of difference between the market, but 3.1 for 2025. That's the median right now. Of course, that far out, this stuff's going to move around a lot.
2: Yep, it sure does. Steve, thank you. Steve Leisman. Sure. Just trying to get at the notion of, you know, we can be on the same page as the Fed for the next couple of meetings. But when it comes to this narrative that things will turn south and the Fed will have to pivot, where are we on that? Julie, where are you on that?
6: Yeah, I mean, I I still think it's unrealistic to assume that there's going to be rate cuts unless something really bad happens. Because that last squeezing out that last bit of inflation from like five to two percent, which is the stated goal, that takes time and it's difficult. So I don't think that we should be hoping for that because that's very bad news for risk assets. Um, And I think, yeah
0: sorry didn't mean to cut you off julie um no i I, I agree as well and I, I think if i look at where that that curve is you know again we we now have a, a little less than 100 out one year cuts we had an ism number cameras were talking about this on our call um which is the second lowest ism print we've had outside of some cartoonish numbers that don't count around covid all the way back to the financial crisis so the data is is uh, on both manufacturing and then non-manufacturing which is the biggest part of our economy doesn't look good the labor market I'm sure we debated this in in mass last week, so I won't get into it. It's strong, but there are signs that, you know, you're seeing some weakening. Fed can't do anything here. They would lose so much credibility. They have to hold the course. Whether it's a pause in June, it doesn't matter.
2: Yeah. But no, the markets knowing what the next couple of moves are, I mean, that's upside, I think, in terms of planning.
0: Yeah, right. it feels like we're
4: melting up into it. And this has been a dangerous period, if you're bearish or short, over the last year and a half into these kind of earnings periods, which believe it you or not... people were, like Danny? Yeah. Um, no, well, it worked out well last year because yeah. it came kind of predictable, right? Like, estimates came down and the companies didn't report as bad as expected and then, you know, like it was a tradable thing. It's not working out great. Just for all of you people who read the headline here with the S&P in a new bull market up 20% off the October lows, that's not a playbook that worked particularly well until this time okay so everything that these guys just said about the data weakening of the feds like has to stay resolute in what they're doing and then i know we're going to talk about crude oil but look at how crude traded today like a crude traded today like there is a global slowdown despite the fact that we are seeing production cuts by the saudis so i think there's a lot of pieces like i get it like the, if you're just looking at the stock market it feels like everything's pretty good and we can deal with a 3.7 percent unemployment rate
0: this looks a lot like 74 75 if, if you believe the feds not going to do what they have to do and you actually saw equities rip into that i also think that people believe that there's a major capex ai tech spending right. dynamic that's going on here which i don't you know they've been spending this money for a long time i don't think it's new
2: coming up crypto charges the world's largest crypto exchange and its ceo facing facing harsh uh, accusations from the sec and you know, it's taking on the rest of the space more on that on in what's at stake next. Plus we're going nuclear with a look into uranium and the news that's sending one miner soaring. Don't go anywhere. Fast money's back into what does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
6: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Crypto stocks crumbling today after the SEC slapped Binance and its founder with a litany of securities violations. Bitcoin also taking a tumble, falling to its lowest level since March. Christina Parts is here to break down the charges. Christina.
9: Yeah, it's actually 13 charges from the SEC to be precise, not only against the largest crypto exchange in the world, like you mentioned, but Binance co-founder CZ, as he's known, and another company controlled by CZ. The U.S. regulator alleges Binance operated Binance.us as an illegal U.S. exchange selling unregistered securities and also commingled billions of dollars worth of user funds, sending them to another trading company also controlled by the co-founder. In a blog post this afternoon, Binance assured customers assets were quote, safe and secure. And then quote, because Binance is not a US exchange, the SEC's actions are limited in reach. So in this filing, the SEC claims that cryptocurrencies Cardano, Solana and others are actually securities, indeed securities. So they should be regulated as such, which could leave implications for trading platforms like Robinhood, as well as Coinbase, Coinbase, we know, selling off over 9%. It already received an SEC warning of enforcement action about two months ago, and shares fell, as did many in the crypto sphere today, like MicroStrategy, which holds a lot of Bitcoin on its books. And then lastly, the SEC isn't the only one going after Binance in March. The U.S. Regulator, Regulator Commodity Futures Trading Commission, CFTC, alleged Binance and its founder knowingly offered unregistered crypto derivatives in the U.S. against federal law. The fight continues.
2: Christina, thanks. Christina Partsenevelis. And do not miss SEC Chairman Gary Gensler on Squawk on the Street tomorrow. That's 9 a.m. Eastern Time right here on CNBC. He'll be asked, I'm sure, about all of this. Um, And it does seem increasingly that the SEC is very behind in terms of regulating this whole industry, which grew up around it, offshores, out of reach, and it did nothing until now. Dan.
4: Yeah, I mean, Listen, if you talk a lot of these people at the exchanges, they, they would welcome the regulation. They want to know what the rules are, right? And so, like, I think that is a huge issue. and It's a huge issue in, in the U.S particularly because there was a lot of innovation here and it seemed to have left and it's gone back to Asia and in other parts of Europe. And when you think about it, if you go to like look at the market cap of Bitcoin and Ethereum together, they are equal to the market cap of, let's say, a meta, OK, uh, all about wow. 700, you know, billion dollars or so. When you, when you think about that, if you look at those two assets, however you want to just describe them in regulatory terms or not, you'd say that there's 85 million or so crypto wallets globally. OK, there's one meta. We know that they have two or two and and a half billion dollar, you know, or billion monthly active users or whatever. Like it seems like a logical place to put some money in. I know all of us have done that in the past and you can see it as something that could be very early on, but it needs regulation. Just like every one of these technologies, think about how much time we're spending around AI yeah. about regulation. Sam Altman, the guy who runs open AI is in front of Congress two weeks ago saying, please regulate us. So this industry needs regulation. I think it'll become a more investable asset.
5: Karen? Yeah, it makes me think of GBTC, right? Which is wants to become, you uh, know, an, an ETF, and and the premium actually discount now is enormous. It's near as wide as it's been, forty four percent today. I mean, that's a security that really should be regulated. They're they're begging for it, right, to be converted. And I, I don't really understand the argument to not let them be converted. But. It's not surprising this is destabilizing for the space, right? He was sort of the, the, one of the biggest guys yeah. left standing. He may still be standing after this if we don't have any jurisdiction. Or, but you can see that it's sort of disrupting for a little bit. It's in what has been a pretty quiet, calm time in Bitcoin for the last yeah. few months I mean, and related.
2: Recovery from Sam Bankman fried days we thought it was crypto winter forever.
0: Yeah, I I think it's been remarkably, uh, you know, the lack of volatility in Bitcoin. In fact, if anything, the sell-off recently in Bitcoin, I think, is more related to Fed policy. Again, we've said this. Brian Kelly said this back in the day. If you think the Fed is done, you buy Bitcoin. And I think there are a lot of times we saw Bitcoin rallying on the back of that. Uh, Greater regulation around Bitcoin is what the industry is calling for. You hear this from institutions. This would be good news, not bad news.
2: There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next.
1: Nuclear option. Lawmakers making moves in the space. And that's sending the metal soaring. So how are the options pits playing this one? The trade you have to see. Plus, oil pumping higher after this weekend's OPEC meeting. So what can you expect from the energy space? And for prices at the pump, you're watching Fast Money. Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Uranium Company Cameco hitting a new 52-week high today as a key nuclear energy bill heads to the Senate. The bipartisan Advance Act would seek to revamp the U.S.'s nuclear infrastructure and support the development and deployment of a new reactor technology. Um, Tim, you've been in and out of the space. We've seen huge runs in this because of the Advance Act. Global X uranium ETF is up nearly 10 percent just the past week, posted its highest close since March. So you've been tracking this.
0: Yeah. Look, I, I, investing in uranium has been difficult. And I think you're still very early. In fact, you know, if you think about nuclear policy and our approach in this country on this, I, I think back to. Uh, all those great no-nukes concerts of the 70s. that produced great music, they didn't make a lot of sense otherwise. Uh, there was a band in the 70s called Average White Band who wrote a song called Picking Up the Pieces. Uh, and I think that's what we're doing here, because that was better music, by the way, than, than a lot of that. And, and I think you've got a dynamic where picking up the pieces on energy policy is something we need to do in this country. And I think from a nuclear perspective, again, this is about national defense interests. And some of the elements of this bipartisan bill, um, I think, are things that are going to be around just making sure that Russian and enriched uranium is not something that's in the hands even of American companies. That's great for legacy players. And I think these are, you know, both combine that with the technicals, this is the type of legislation that could really change the game mm-hmm. for a lot of players. Yeah.
2: Options traders are betting that the run in Cameco could really have some legs. Mike has got the action there. Mike.
0: Yeah, Cameco saw more than four times the average daily call volume. Calls outpacing puts by about six to one. One of the areas where we saw a lot of activity was the September 32 calls. We saw a block of 3,000 of those trade for a little over two and a half bucks a contract. Ultimately, by day's end, over 4,100 of those ended up changing hands. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the big bump we saw today could continue through the end of summer. They're looking for a move of probably nine plus percent by September expiration.
2: Mike, thanks. Mike Co. for more options action. Tune into the full show. That's Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, we're pumping into oil as Saudi Arabia plans more production cuts. So how should you position in the energy space? RBC's Halima Croft will join us next to lay out her take and what to expect for oil in the back half of the year. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing lower to kick off the week. The S&P briefly touching a nine-month high but ending in the red. The Dow dropping 200 points to close near the lows of the day. And the Nasdaq down a tenth of a percent. Some weakness in the retail sector today. Target dropping another 2% to post its lowest close since August 2020. Dollar Tree, Dollar Gen also sinking. Even luxury retail LVMH. Uh, falling nearly two percent. Karen, what do you make of this continued pain?
5: Yeah, for different reasons, obviously. I think this, you know, the discretionary, the lower spend for discretionary was really troubled. Walmart did okay. Target did not do okay, And some of the other ones as well. So it just tells you the low end is starting to feel a little bit stretched on the high end. I think the slower opening of China is part of the problem there. And they've had a big run. And maybe North America weakening a little bit too we'll see if anything bounced back in May or June post the bank crisis and post the debt ceiling but Ugly day for retail. All
2: right. Well, WTI and Brent crude hitting their highest levels in more than a month. Before pulling back at the close, the move comes after the latest OPEC Plus meeting where Saudi Arabia announced it will trim production by a million barrels a day starting next month. For more, let's bring in RBC's Halima Croft. She's also CNBC contributor. Halima, great to have you with us. You actually believe they will actually cut production, which has always been the, oh, they say they're going to cut, but they don't really cut.
10: See, Melissa, what is different this time is when we think about OPEC cuts, you have Saudi Arabia usually backs barrels, awards with barrels. I mean, they are the ones, when they announce a cut, they deliver. The question has always been about some of these other producers, the free riders. They've talked about some African countries being free riders. Russia has been a free rider as of late. What is important about the cut announced yesterday is it is a Saudi unilateral cut. So I think that gives us more confidence that Saudi Arabia will deliver on that million barrel a day cut starting in July. The question is though, it's now a one month cut, will they extend it for the remainder of the year if oil prices fail to rally significantly? Why
2: do you think oil was not able to hold on to its gains then? Today? I, mean, I
10: think there's still really strong concerns about demand. I think there are really strong concerns about you know the broader economy, you know rate hikes. Some people are saying in the market, If Saudi Arabia has to do an additional million barrels a day of a cut what does that mean about the demand outlook now the Saudis were saying is a precautionary move they want to give more confidence to the market but I think people are waiting to see you know how this cut pans out and we are expecting a better back half of the year we are expecting inventory draws but right now there still is significant concern about the demand outlook in the broader economy.
0: Halima, but you, you're, you're, you seem to be very confident, and I, I, I'm going to listen to you because you're often right, about the relationship within OPEC-plus between Saudi and Russia. Um, it, it seems to me that all the gains that at least have been kind of supply-related around OPEC-plus OPEC, uh, OPEC plus have been because they've been together, they've been unified, there's been, there's been cohesion. So y- your point is that you think Saudi is, is not worried about Russia, not worried about that relationship?
10: I mean that was a clear message that the Saudis delivered Now, going into this meeting there was some speculation that the Saudis would seek to take back market share in Asia we've seen a significant surge of Russian barrels into India and China those barrels can no longer go to Europe because of sanctions and so people were speculating that Saudi might want to get back their market share in that key region but the Saudis were really clear they do not have any desire To resume a market share war and they are not particularly concerned about russian exports into asia they said to us we're still the top supplier into china we have sent more barrels into europe to backfill those russian losses and we're not particularly concerned at the moment about russian production
2: so given the push-pull in terms of, you know, the cut that you think is actually going to happen and, the, and, you know, demand destruction because of global slowdown, Halima, where do you think prices will be?
10: I mean, we're still optimistic on the back half of the year, and we still see, you know, a path for Brent prices to return to the 90s. Certainly the Saudi decision we think is, you know, important for inventory draws, and we'll be watching very closely. We're coming back to Vienna in July whether the Saudis extend that cut. I mean, certainly there's always the broader macro concerns that can send oil lower, but from a fundamental perspective, we think the Saudis have sent the signal that they're willing to come into this market to at least defend the floor. And I think that's an important point as well, that they are really concerned about preventing a major sell-off in oil.
2: Halima, always great to get your take. Thank you, Halima Croft of Thank RBC. Thank you for having me. Julie, your thoughts?
10: You know, one thing that we
6: didn't talk about was so many of the you know, capacity outputs that have been talked about in developing countries, particularly in Africa, were these really high targets. And so they lowered them and kind of praised that as, look, we're all on the same page. But it, it really is kind of unilaterally Saudi Arabia. And so it makes me wonder about the stability long term of this price action. And I, I wonder about that.
2: Coming up, high hopes, but low profit, the warning from GM's Mary Barra on how long it could take for the EV space to charge up. More on that next. And throughout June, CNBC is celebrating Pride Month. Here's the CEO of Grindr.
3: We know there's so much attack and hate at the community today happening from um, lots of places. In that context, Grindr going public in November, I think speaks uh, to a lot of very positive things. The extent to which we were celebrated on Wall Street when we went public, and the amount of support we've gotten since being public, I think, is, is really fantastic. Uh, Here is a company built by gay people for gay people, um, where you know the CEO is gay, uh, married, and with children. Grinder's board has uh, nine members in total, six of whom are gay, who are lesbian, who are trans, and to have a board like that, I think, is a really powerful testament.
2: From Chewy to GameStop to Bed, Bath and Beyond, my new CNBC documentary takes an in-depth look at the mysterious and sometimes controversial entrepreneur-turned-activist investor Ryan Cohen. Making of the Mean King premieres tomorrow, June 6th, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on CNBC. Meantime, GM shares ticking lower today after CEO Mary Barra warned that low-end electric vehicles will not be profitable until the end of the decade. The company also announcing plans to invest more than a billion dollars to ramp up truck production in Michigan. Specifically, she's talking about thirty dollars to $40,000, and it's mo- mostly because of the battery technology, um, the technology that, that is required to come down in price in order for these vehicles to become mass market. Karen, doesn't seem like a crazy prediction, but, you know, Thinking right. about it as a mass market, it, maybe we do need to sort of push off that time frame.
5: Well, it's unfortunate because they seem to be pushing off that time frame again and again, yeah, yeah. As whether it's production or whether it's an all-electric fleet and now it's profitability. Um, also, interestingly, a billion dollars to um, for their ICE trucks, internal combustion engine, which is a huge moneymaker. Remember Adam Jonas saying he thought the evolution to EV would be a little slower than he had originally thought that would that would help GM, but they gotta get there anyway. It's yeah. um
2: Dan was making the point that Tim's Ford. Was upgraded today. I think at City. It's your
0: Ford. Well, <laughs> that your It's trade actually year. it's actually your Ford because you're the one with the Ford EV that you yeah. couldn't charge anywhere. But now that they have a deal with Tesla, <laughs> yeah. actually you're in pretty good shape. Oh, need it. And <laughs> that was why that was an, an important deal for both companies. And as we've seen from Tesla over the years, and and I'll just say the profitability in Tesla has been like the Model Y, and not you know not the Model 3. So so um, you kind of listen to Mary Barra and you say this is. Absolutely what we've seen so far. And back to Ford, even though this is my Ford, Ford is the one of these three companies we're talking about that has been the the least profitable um, and has the most issues in terms of efficiency and has made a lot of mistakes and is restructuring and still trying to get there. So um, it's not great news for the for the folks trying to catch up.
4: Did you catch this article in the journal yesterday? You probably did, Karen. It was called EV makers confront the nickel pickle. So they're talking about how difficult it is to get it out of the ground, Mm -hmm. how difficult it is to refine it, the environmental ISSUES IN DOING SO um, AND THE COST OF DOING SO AND THEN IT WAS TALKING ABOUT BASICALLY AND THIS REALLY SPEAKS TO WHAT YOU'RE TALKING ABOUT AS A MASS MARKET VEHICLE WHAT ARE THE ENVIRONMENTAL IMPLICATIONS OF BUILDING MASS MARKET FLEETS OF THESE THINGS IF YOU HAVE TO MOW DOWN RAINFORESTS YOU HAVE TO you know, CREATE A LOT OF CARBON TO MAKE THESE CARS SO I'LL TAKE THE OVER ON THIS THING YOU KNOW WHAT I MEAN AND ACTUALLY WHEN YOU THINK ABOUT THE WAY A.I. And the excitement in the tech community, in the manufacturing community, in every community seems a lot of energy. Well, but think about that. that, that, <laughs> that
2: <laughs> no, but that does
4: it's too. Like but I almost want to take the under on the commercialized iterations of, let's say, full self-driving before mass adoption of EVs. If you think about it that way,
0: can I ask a question? What is yeah. where did being in a pickle come from? Like mm-hmm. what? In a pickle. Oh, well, yeah, you a know pickle with I don't you know. A I mean, you know. It's not like
2: pickle ball. See, nobody yeah, I mean, knows. No one has a
0: good answer to this question. No. Being, maybe you a look base. like a pickle a when pickle. you're going back we, and forth yeah, really between first back and, and second base. But why is that a pickle? I, don't know.
2: Uh, I think pickles are
0: delicious. Somebody, <laughs> I love pickles.
2: Julie, Somebody, I don't know if you have any thoughts Julie. on pickle, <laughs> the derivation of pickle, or on the automakers.
6: Well, look, think think about Tesla, right? Think like they released their first EV in 2008 and they didn't really have proper profitability until 2019. And they did that with a ton of really nice subsidies and handouts from the government. So it takes time to do that, particularly if you're building a car at a low price point. It's just really difficult. And if you think about how a lot of these automakers make money, a lot of it is being able to reuse the platforms that they had on different cars across. And you can't do that with an EV. You're really building everything from the ground up. So it makes sense that it takes a long time for profitability, but I understand everyone's impatience. It makes sense.
2: Coming up from bearish to bullish, the chart master Carter Worth has a couple of names that may be turning around. The stock he's watching right now. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Chartmaster out with a new note today, laying out some names that look to be bottoming out and making bearish to bullish reversals. So which stocks look like a buy at these levels? Let's ask the Chartmaster, Carter Braxtonworth. Carter.
1: You bet. Well, um, the circumstance of a bearish to bullish reversal, before we look at the charts, of course, is predicated on bearishness, meaning something that's been down and out and really, well, on the ropes that starts to then cure, heal, bottom. A rounding bottom some people call it. I like the phrase bearish to bullish reversal because it describes the precondition. So let's look at the setup for these three stocks. The first slide. What do we know? Look at those peak to trough declines. I mean Wayfair SoFi legal zoom 90 the 85 83 versus what the S&P's peak to trough 27. So we have the precondition real bearishness. Look at the second. However, it's all reversed over the last two months. S&P. Up only four major moves off of the bottom. That is what a rounding bottom looks like. So let's look at the charts. The first, and they'll all look the same, frankly. You have a long and protracted decline. And then in each instance, and you see it here in Wayfair first, the moving average starts to turn. It takes a lot of days of not making new lows and actually starting to move higher for an average price over 150 days to start to turn up. That line is now rising. Let's look at the next one. But you'll see the same chart, and that's the point. It doesn't matter what they do. Legal Zoom has nothing to do with Wayfair, but it's the same circumstance. A long and protracted decline that now is turning, exhibiting relative strength. And then the last one, of course, same circumstance, SoFi. And so These all did well today. It has nothing to do with the fact that I happened to single them out. I singled out a lot that didn't do well. But the point is, this is a more interesting circumstance than those that are steep and uncorrected, up and up and up, that everyone loves. A lot of those did not do well today.
2: So, Carter, we've learned from another technician, Louise Yamada, that the longer the base, the higher in space. Do these charts uh, fall into that category it's just now you're seeing the, the reversal happen? Because you're, you're pointing out that it was a long period of time where there was neither a new high nor a new low.
1: That's right. And so it, it, the, the more a time and duration spent working through a problem, that once the problem is worked through, the, the way is clear, so to speak. Now, one could say funny mentals uh, are bad for LegalZoom or they're bad for Wayfair independent of that uh, that is exactly what Louise is referring to when she says that it's uh, a lot of time spent basing bottoming healing curing and now turning up
2: Carter thank you Carter Braxton you worth of worth charting Julie do you like any of these
6: no no <laughs>
3: <laughs> she's scared
6: yeah uh, yeah no I you know look I it's I'm always really interested in the technical concept because you start to think about At what point do the fundamentals start to really match the technicals and you know i agree that in general with these businesses that have these kind of precipitous declines they typically need time to resolve the issues fundamentally i don't think that these businesses have really fully resolved where they need to be but um i do think it's really interesting and worth keeping an eye on them because they used to all have very strong franchises behind them any takers here on the desk for any of them, well,
4: so, you know, do you notice how he th- he's stuck in the yeah. You know, fundamentals. Yeah, it's fundamental. I like that, too. I like that, too. He's a genius. Uh, he's a wordsmith. You know, LegalZoom <laughs> is one A.I. headline from doubling. I'm just going to say that. OK, <laughs> okay. Like, like if you look at if it's there was true, ever if it. there was ever a stock that they could kind of roll out some B.S. press release and get that thing going, that would be it. But <laughs> that's
6: just
4: it. Saying. It does seem like there could be no AI position no for LegalZoom. All
6: yeah. right. I mean, um, there, there already is.
2: So.
0: Oh.
6: There already is. There already is. Like all of these businesses do have AI, right? Like Google Maps is AI, it exists. And that's what we keep gonna keep forgetting. Right.
2: Up next, final trades.
6: Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Julie Beal. Oh, we know I like healthcare. We know I like software. Surtar is a nice business, really durable, and it's an oligopoly. Sam Seymour.
0: CCJ, again, picking up the pieces, average white pants. Got to listen to that one. Mm-hmm. They are doing that in nuclear.
2: Karen Feinerman.
5: Yes. So talked about Apple earlier today. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in the short term with this new headset. So nice run. Time to sell some upside calls. I feel like when the headset is available, Dan, you will still buy it. Just... No. Yeah, you're such a gadget
2: I, I,
0: guy, Dan. But
4: think about this. We us put, put it on, on your you? wall. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Who buys a $3,500 piece of electronics these days?
5: You do. You always buy it. Whatever's out. XLE, I'll
4: be a seller. XLE.
5: Thanks for watching
2: Fast Mad Money Starts right now. warrant its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such to view the full fast money
6: disclaimer please visit cnbc.com forward slash fast money disclaimer
9: this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do